it's great to see all of you here and those of you online. Thanks for joining in today. Man, what a great day it's been already. Uh, well, if you have your Bible, we're going to continue. So Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Uh, we're doing this series called The Seventh Resurrection, and um, this, you can be following along during the week. We provide Each week we provide kind of a, a devotional guide that goes with this series, and um, just really excited about uh, just some good responses so far, and just really we've read it as a family as well, and and so it's a it's a lot of fun. But going through the 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 six different moments where God brought someone back from the dead that happens before Jesus' resurrection. And so we've looked at a few in the Old Testament already. We've looked at uh, this widow at Zarephath. Her son had died and Elijah the prophet re- uh, brings him back to life. We looked at uh, the Shunammite woman's son and Elisha uh, brings her son back to life. And then there's this weird story co- t- uh, covered two weeks ago where there was this guy that had died and they're about to bury him in a funeral and all of a sudden these, these raiders, these marauders came across the border and so they were terrified so they just threw this guy's body into the first available tomb which just happened to be Elisha's tomb so they throw the body in there his body touches the bones of Elisha all of a sudden he comes back to life it's a it's a crazy story but it's in there so we talked about that two weeks ago last week Pastor Martin talked about the widow at Nain and her son uh, being brought back to life by Jesus well tonight or today not tonight this morning we're talking about uh, this the fifth one the fifth resurrection event that happens and all of these um, stories, these historical accounts, embody in them a certain aspect and foreshadowing of the ultimate resurrection of Jesus Christ, which, of course, we're going to hit on Easter Sunday now, which is only two weeks away. Can you believe we're only two weeks from Easter? So, yeah, it's exciting. This coming Saturday's egg drop. Can you believe it's already here? How many are excited about some egg drop action. I am. Uh, I love this event. It's so much fun. Yep. And we haven't been able to do it for several years now because of COVID and whatnot. So just super stoked about this. But anyway, it's going to be a great opportunity. We're going to have literally thousands of people on their campus here that we get to talk about Jesus with. How cool is that? That is just awesome. So if you're not signed up for that, please do so uh, to just be a part of this great event that's going to happen. Well, today we're going to read about this guy named Jairus, and his daughter falls ill. And so Jairus comes and asks Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter. And Jesus takes off to to go with Jairus to the house, and in between that, there's this other interesting episode, and we're going to talk about that, of a woman who's got a blood issue. She just reaches out and touches Jesus' garment, and she's healed upon that touch. And then after that conversation, Jesus and Jairus get word that Jairus' daughter has died. And I'm just sure it's just a heart-wrenching, breaking moment for Jairus. But Jesus says, do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And so we're going to read this. Let's read this together. This is an exciting story. Luke chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 40 and go through 56. I invite you to please stand in honor of reading God's word. I kind of expect you to already be standing up. I, uh, man, it's been two weeks. It's only been two weeks since I've preached. You know. All right, here we go. Uh, verse 40. So when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who is a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living 
on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So she came up behind him and touched the the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who is it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, no, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when, women, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before Jesus, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead, so do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But Jesus said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but only sleeping. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he said, child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed, and he charged them to tell no one what had happened. What an amazing historical account, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are just in awe of your power, in awe of your compassion, in awe of your kindness and your greatness. And God, I just thank you for your specific teaching here in this particular account of the importance of belief, of our faith. So God, I just pray that you would just minister to us today where we are in multiple different circumstances and God, all of us are at different walks, different points in our relationship with you. God, there's some here or watching who may be brand new to who you are and your claims and they're still kind of in the curiosity or discovery mode. God, we may have some here in the skeptical uh, kind of circumstance where they're, they're really not sure what to think about you and your scriptures and your teachings, but but God, there's just a little bit of hope there. There's a little bit of interest there. I, got, I prayed it this morning that you would just, uh, just open their hearts and minds and help them to be full of confidence in you and just enamored by you. And Lord, there's those in here who have been following you for decades. God, I pray that even after all these years of following you, that today maybe not only learn something, but God, be further motivated, further inspired to follow you passionately not rigidly, not out of routine, but God, out of a love and desire to honor you. So God, just have your way with us this morning. We love you. We just want to commit this time to you and for your glory's sake in Jesus' name. And everybody said, thanks. Go ahead and be seated. So if you're follow along with your notes that you either received on the way in, the physical copy, or you're following along on your app, here's the big thought, is that this fifth resurrection uh, it really demonstrates how important our belief is, but that belief is real. You know, our faith issues are real. And the one in whom we have faith is real. And because of that faith, because of that belief, there is life. There's everlasting life. There is abundant life. There is purpose-filled life. There is joy-filled life. There's just life to the fullest. So Jesus says in John 10, he says, the thief has come to 
kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Does that sound good? Have it to the abundantly could be used there. So, so that's, that's kind of what we're shooting for today as we, as we really unpack this historical event. There's, there's so much here. I'll try not to spend too long, but there's just so much here that's just exciting and invigorating as we talk about this great God the Son, Jesus. And so the first thing we see here we see Jairus, a man who's believing in the midst of desperation. Have you ever had those desperate moments? You know, this week I was reading about Anne Frank. Have you ever heard of Anne Frank before? So Anne Frank was a Jewish girl in, in Europe um, pre-World War II, and, and then the crackdown came, the Holocaust began, and they were, the Nazis were, you know, hunting down all, all the, as many of the Jews as they could find, and if you've ever read the diary of Anne Frank, it's really, I mean, it's a, it's a heartbreaking story, because it does not end well, not spoiler alert, but it doesn't end well. But they, they have a hiding place, that's the name of her book, is A Hiding Place, uh, they also have the diary of Anne Frank, but her hiding place was in a was in this, a nice house, but the, at the end of the house, it was connected to an annex, and they had this bookcase, and this bookcase was really a door, right? But that's where Anne Frank and her family w- would hide when, from the Nazis. They would go inside this bookcase into this annex, and that's where they would, and, and it was successful for years. But toward the end of World War II, um, or midway, the Nazis kind of were tipped off. And there's a big new thing is the research and the new, new investigation into who was the person that tipped off the, uh, the Nazi authorities. But there was that moment that came when here's Anne and her family hiding in the annex behind the bookcase. Can you imagine the desperation? As you hear on the other side of the wall, you hear these soldiers, these, the Gestapo talking can you imagine that panic, that desperation as that bookcase begins to slide open? Oh, we're busted. We're caught. And they'd heard horror stories from what happens at concentration camps. They, they possibly knew what awaited them. Can you imagine that kind of desperation where there's bad things happening and are going to happen and there's not a thing I can do about it? Have you ever felt helpless like that? Absolutely. Some of you aren't raising your hand. You should be. All of us have felt helpless. Here's Jairus, a man who is desperate. His daughter is deathly ill, and there's not a thing he can do about it. What do you do in those moments of desperation? Well, the first thing you see about desperation is there is just this, this soberness that comes with it, kind of a, a clarity of thinking, a, a reprioritization of, of things in our life. So let's just kind of unpack this. It says Jairus is the leader of the synagogue. So the synagogue in Jesus' day had already become kind of the center of the community. Anything that was fun, exciting, part of life, part of family would have happened at the synagogue. The kids went to school at the synagogue and were taught by the rabbis. You know, the people went to worship at the synagogue and worshiped on the Sabbath. To, to, to worship God, learned about God, was, you know, got read to from scripture. All this happened at the synagogue. Big community decisions and meetings were held at the synagogue. Life happened at the synagogue. It was the center of the community, both physically and figuratively. And everything that happened in life really happened in and through the synagogue. And Jairus is the head guy of the synagogue, which really meant he's really the head guy of the town. 
So Jairus is the man. Now, there had been all these debates in Jewish life during Jesus' day about who is Jesus. There was, you know, most of the Jewish people had said, well, Jesus is a, I mean, he's a good teacher, but he's, he can't be the Messiah. He's not raising an army. He's not kicking Rome out. So Jesus can't be the Messiah. But then there were some of the Jews that were beginning to follow Jesus and saying, but who can heal like him? Who, only, only God can do these kind of things. And so there's this buzz and there's this kind of debate. And so Jairus would have been in the middle of those debates, and we don't know where Jairus stood. At one point, maybe he was on the extreme side and said, there's no way Jesus could be the Messiah. Or maybe he was one of the few that said, well, well, maybe he could be. Regardless of what that was, at this moment, when the head guy in town comes before Jesus and falls at his feet, that's a statement. The true hope is coming out. His desperation has brought a clarity. It's not about his politics anymore. It's not about these these lesser debates that go on in communities anymore. He needs help because his daughter is dying. And he's going to the only guy that he has even heard of that might could help. Because by this point in time, there had been some, some buzz about what Jesus had done. So he was desperate for his little girl. We see that desperation can bring a, a, a soberness or a different way of thinking, a clarity where things that are temporal just don't matter as much. We see this with, back in the Old Testament, the story of Jacob and Esau. They were twin brothers. I mean, you heard this story before about Jacob and Esau. Twin brothers, and there's this one episode where Esau had been out um, in, the, in the field, and he was exhausted and he comes back, and his brother Jacob, who's more of your homebody, you know, was making some lentil soup. Right? How many of you ever had lentil soup? How many of you like lentil soup? It is disgusting. It is nasty. Yet, we're going to see Esau make the crazy decision here over some nasty lentil soup. Here's what the scripture says. Once Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. So his name is called Edom, which means red. Jacob said, well, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob over some nasty lentil soup. What happened? Esau was desperate. Now, it wasn't like he just worked kind of hard and was just hungry like we're hungry for supper. There was a level of hunger. He had eaten in several days, most likely. So he, was, he, was, he needed some sustenance. So his body was craving food. And in his moment of desperation here, his priorities change, right? He's not, he didn't care about his birthright. He says, what good is my birthright to me if I'm dead? I need food. So he sells his birthright because he's desperate. <laughs> so when we're desperate, priorities seem to shift. In Esau's case, not in a good direction, but for Jairus' case, in a great direction. Secondly, about this desperation, there, there, a humility comes with it. There comes a humility in our desperation because we are reminded that I'm just not in control. There's things that I can't manipulate, I can't change, I can't fix. I'm helpless. 
That's a point of humility. Here Jairus rushed to Jesus' feet and implored him, begged him to come to his house. This is not the actions of a distinguished, powerful leader in the Jewish custom or in humans' eyes. This was the action of a desperate, humble man. I mean, Jairus was the one that usually people came to and implored of him to come to their house. Jairus was the one that people came to to solve their problems. Jairus is the one that when couples were struggling in their marriage, Jairus is the one that they went to counseling with. If they were having unruly children, they would go to Jairus for help and wisdom. If they were having financial woes, they would ask Jairus what to do. Jairus was the guy who helped others. He was, the high, he was the guy that had all the answers. He was the guy that had all the wisdom. Now for this town to see their guy bow before the guy. That's a huge statement. It's a radical turn of events. But Jairus here humbled himself. And through him humbling himself, he throws himself at the mercy of Jesus and what a great place to be. Look at what some scriptures say here. Psalm 34, 15. It says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry, that humble cry. Isaiah 66, all these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isn't that good? You want God to see you, to look to you, for him to be passionately pursuing you? Be humble, be contrite. Psalm 51, 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Someone who's humble and broken and contrite. I cannot find a single event in scripture. Not one passage where someone who is humbled, broken, and contrite came to God or came to Christ and was turned away. Not one single time. The ones that God resists are the proud, right? Or those are the, are the arrogant, the the overly cocky, those who think they have control and can handle the situation. Those are the ones that God may resist, but those who are humble and contrite, the Bible says God has yet to deny that person. So believe even in desperation. Jairus did, and it was a good thing. Secondly, we see believing based on evidence. Believing based on evidence. Here we have the evidence of the word. The evidence of the word. This should kind of go to this next little weird section here. So this is, this is not random. Everything that's in the word is, is intentional. Everything that Jesus did was strategic, uh, not just random happenstance. So it, was, it wasn't just random that between Jairus' imploring Jesus to come to his house and between Jesus getting to Jairus' house, this whole event happened with, with this lady with a bleeding issue. Right? It, was, it was all part of God's plan and et cetera. So this lady with this issue 
of blood, she comes to Jesus. Why? And why does she have this thought that if I just touch his robe, just the fringe of his garment, what's going on there? Well, in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi contains a, a little prophecy. It says here, for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Well, the word here for wings in the Hebrew language is the same word used in other passages to refer to tassels, which are those dangly things on the fringes of garments in Jesus' day. All right, so Numbers 15, 40 says, so you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. Um, And so I think we're missing some of that verse here. It goes on to say, Right before that, it says, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and put a cord of blue uh, on the tassel on each corner and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to, uh, to go after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. So, the tassels were supposed to, on the garments, to remind them to obey the commandments of God. So this word for tassels and the word for wings is the same. So out of this, this connection resulted was that there was this, an expectation that grew in the minds and the thought processes and the belief of the Jewish people before Jesus' day that when Messiah would come, just the touch of his tassels would bring healing. So... This lady's desperation and faith resulted in her lunging toward just the tassels of Jesus, which meant she believed Jesus to be the Messiah. And she had hope. And she had tried everything. She had gone to the doctors and gotten all of their opinions. They said she had spent her entire livelihood. She was now bankrupt because she had spent all of her money trying to fix her biological, physical issue of ongoing Bleeding. Now, this, this had huge ramifications. Because of her bleeding issue, she was ceremonially unclean. So for years, she had not been able to go to the temple. She had not been able to go worship God. She had been kind of an outcast. There were certain things people couldn't do with her and to her because she was unclean ceremonially. Not a sin issue, just ceremonially unclean. And so she was kind of disconnected from people. She was disconnected from God. She had spent all of her money trying to fix this. No doctor could help. Again, she's helpless. She's desperate. But she's humble. She believes. And based on the evidence of the word of God, God said, according to her thought process, if I could just touch the tassels of the Messiah, I'll be healed. She touched the tassels and what happened? She was healed immediately. And Jesus perceived this, obviously. It's this pretty comical conversation that ensues. He's like, someone touch me. And Peter's like, master, there's people all around you. You're bumping into everybody. Of course somebody touched you. He's like, no, 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 no. I perceive power going out from me. So the lady, she now knows she's caught. She comes to the feet of Jesus. And what does he say to her? He says, daughter, your what? Your faith has made you well. She believed based on the evidence of the word of God. Folks, we can trust what God says. We can trust him at his word. 
We can trust the good things he says, the promises he gives us. We can trust that what he says is sin is really sin. We must trust him at his word. We don't, we don't need to trust what culture tells us. We don't need to trust what other people tell us. We need to trust what God tells us. Because God is the only one who will never, ever lie to us. Amen? Even our best friends with great intentions can inadvertently tell us something that's not true. It's not right. Even our parents can inadvertently tell us that. Even our neighbors, our bosses, our coworkers, even your pastors can accidentally inadvertently tell you something that might not be exactly right. Because we're all flawed. That's why everything we talk about from up here, you need to check here, right? Because this is the only source of inerrant truth. Not me, not us, but only God and his word. This lady knew that and she trusted him. There's also evidence from the past. So here, Jairus is watching all this. And I'm sure he, he has a level of faith. He's come, he's begged Jesus to come and he's hoping and he's, hurt, he's yearning, probably praying, wishing all those verbs, right? That, that Jesus can get there and heal his daughter. And he has evidence of this. If you read just the, the gospel of Luke 5 through 8, if you're just the previous three chapters, here's, here's all that Jesus had done in the area around Galilee where Jairus lives. So Jairus sees this woman healed immediately. That builds his faith. But he's also heard stories of how Jesus healed the demoniac in the, and cast demons out of this, this demon-possessed man into pigs, 2,000 pigs. He, he had heard that story because that had just happened. How Jesus calmed a raging storm on the sea. How Jesus had himself forgiven a sinful woman. And only God can forgive sins. How Jesus had raised the son of the widow at Nain that Martin preached about last week. How Jesus healed the centurion's son. And Jesus, our servant. And Jesus, what he's even there, it was remote healing. How Jesus healed many diseases, cast out unclean spirits, healed a man with a withered hand, healed a paralytic, healed a leper. All of that had happened within just weeks of this event. And you know, how many of you are from a small town? Anybody from a small town? How quick does rumors, how quickly do rumors fly in a small town? You know what I'm saying? Stories. Yep. Facebook's the same way, that's right. I mean, rumors just fly so quickly. Well, these are a bunch of small towns, but they're all connected. You know, there's just the same region called Galilee. They all work around the Sea of Galilee, so there's a lot of commerce and business interactions with each other. And, you know, there's just, you know, these stories spread like wildfire. Like, hey, I got this nephew. <coughs> My sister lives in Nain. Jesus raised her son from the dead. You know, that was spread like wildfire, right? So, you know, Jairus is hearing all this, so he's fueled with faith from these other stories that he's hearing from people he knows and trusts and respects. These aren't the, these aren't the stories like, you know, my third cousin's relative on the, my mother's side told me this, right? It's not, it's not like fifth, sixth, seventh-hand knowledge. This is all first-hand, second-hand knowledge of what's going on in this area. So those stories fuel our faith. That's why it's good for us to hear from each other. It's good for us to, to hear, hey, what's, what is God doing in your life? And when God does something amazing in your life, you tell people about that. Not because you're bragging, like, God did this for me. No, because God gets the glory 
And when God works in your life, that can be inspiring to the faith of someone else's life, right? And that's also why it's good for us when God does something in our life, man, to write it down, somehow capture that, because God wants to be remembered. And we're in those, one of those seasons when life's happening, and we're desperate for God to move, and we just don't, you know, in our, in our way of thinking, we, we don't know if he's going to. We go back to those things we've written down or those stories we've captured from earlier in our life when God did move. It reminds us, it builds our faith. And God tells us that. He says, remember the things I did. How many times in the Old Testament does he tell Israel, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I mean, on the cusp of God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses and for Moses to tell the people, the first thing God says is, I am the God who brought you out of the, out of the land of Egypt. He reminds them what he did for them. So God wants to be remembered and remembering is good for our faith. So the evidence of the past can fuel our faith. So, so what evidence do you have from your past that fuels your faith? What evidence do you have from your past that could help fuel someone else's faith? Share those things. Share your God stories. They're priceless. Third, believing in the face of mockery. Well, I'm sure as soon as Jairus sees this woman healed, he's getting more and more confidence that, God, that Jesus is going to heal his daughter. I mean, I would see that incredible thing. And so I'm sure Jairus briefly walks with a bigger smile on his face and a little more anticipation and a little more confidence that his baby girl is going to be just fine. And then they get the news. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, someone from Jairus' house says, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the master anymore. Hmm. What a roller coaster. You feel what Jairus could have felt there, just on this roller coaster of hope soaring and building. And all of a sudden, it's like the the rug just pulled out from under you. The worst case scenario has taken place. Your daughter, your baby girl, who you had so much hopes was going to be healed, is now gone. Pain. But Jesus, in his compassion, love, sovereignty, just his greatness, he hears what is said, and he immediately knows what's going on with Jairus. And it doesn't say this. You know, I like to imagine the scene. I would see Jesus going over to Jairus immediately, putting his arm around him, saying, hey, don't be afraid. Just... Just believe that she's going to be fine. How, how helpful is it for us to hear that? You know, and we're just going through a really cruddy time. Someone we know and love and respect comes to us, puts her arm around us, pats us and says, hey, it's going to be okay. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? It's going to be all right. And here's, here's the great news with the Lord. It's going to be okay. Whatever it is we're going through, whatever you're in the midst of right now, it's going to be okay. Because God is God. He loves you. And he even promises in Romans 8, he's going to work all things together 
for the good of those who love him. And that good is to make us more like Jesus. So it's going to be okay because God is in control. I might not be, but God is. You might not be, but God is. The God of the universe who is all-powerful loves you deeply. There's nothing he can't handle. There's a lot that you and I can't handle. There's nothing. Just say nothing. There is nothing our God can't handle, right? If he can come back to, to life from death, there's nothing he can't handle. If he can say, let there be light, and the light of the universe came into existence, there's nothing our God can't handle. Amen? Nothing. So Jesus pats him on the back and says, it's going to be all right. Just believe. So they get to the house and Jesus says, don't weep because all these people, they're already mourning, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, siblings. We don't know the extent of the family or how many of this is, but there's just a gathering there and they're all weeping. And Jesus says, don't weep, don't cry. She's just asleep. And they laugh at him. We th- we're appalled by that. We think, well, these are a bunch of idiots. <laughs> they're laughing at Jesus. So it happens all the time. Jesus is still mocked regularly. So we see this mockery. What is, how does this affect Jairus? Jairus is there. His daughter's now dead. Jesus said, don't fear. And Jesus has said she's going to live. It's going to be okay. But all of his family, everyone close to him is mocking. What do you think, how is this affecting Jairus' faith? How does other people's mockery of Jesus impact your faith? When you're at school with your classmates, they hear you're a Christian. Are they cool with that? Or do they have a mocking tone? They say, well, good for you, I guess. Or do they even go further? Do they attack? They talk about the silliness of it in their view. They mock. How does that affect your faith? Does that tempt us to quiet down and act like, well, be like Peter, when Peter was kind of mocked for following Jesus. Hey, you were with him, weren't you? You're one of of his disciples, aren't you? What does Peter do? Boy, he bows at that. He he crumbles. He says, I never knew the guy. I'm not with him. The mockery impacted his faith in a negative direction. How does mockery affect us? We have the mockery of of impossible situations. That's that's what's going on right here with, with Jairus. This seems like an impossible situation. Someone who's dead to be brought back to life, that seems impossible. And, you know, really, apart from God, it is impossible. This extreme swing the, from the fueling hope of the woman issued with blood to now the immediate news his daughter had died. No doubt his heart of Jairus had sank to the bottom of his gut. Perhaps his knees buckled collapse we don't know but when Jesus says if you believe she'll be okay what's he really saying here she's saying if you believe that I have the capability she will be well or do you trust me that I am both able and willing to heal her well here the this word believe it's kind of the main thrust of what we're talking about today this word believe according to Strong's dictionary of the New Testament Word believe is a little different than sometimes our English word believe. Our English word believe means to agree with facts about, right? So like, um, I don't know, do you believe, do you believe Dukes should have won last night? 
No, I don't know. or yes, I don't know. Or do you believe North Carolina is going to beat Kansas? All right, see, I don't know. Uh, do you believe Kansas should win? They've had the best season. Yeah, all those beliefs. How we use believe there? Um, do you do you believe that uh, the war in Ukraine is going to end soon? All these things are believe. They're 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 like guesses. They're, they have to do with with facts and opinions and data and all this sort of thing, right? But it's kind of detached from our hearts. You know, we we believe, but it's kind of external to us. Well, that's not the concept of the Greek term believe. The Greek term believe can be defined as to have faith in or to entrust. I love that word to entrust. It's what Strong's Dictionary says here. To entrust. So what Jesus is saying here, only believe, he's not just, don't just agree with the facts that I'm able to heal your daughter. Don't agree with the possibility that I might be willing to heal your daughter. What I'm asking you to do is what Jesus is saying, I want you to entrust your daughter to me. Entrust your hopes to me. Entrust your very life to me. Believe, it's entrust. It is yielding ourselves, giving ourselves. That's what to believe is biblically. So when we get to like the popular verse, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son that whoever believes, he's not saying only whoever agrees with that intellectually, whoever thinks that is theological truth, although that's a good starting point, that's not the believe that God is talking about here. What he's saying here is when God so the world, he gave his only son to whoever believes, whoever entrusts himself, herself, in him, whoever entrusts himself into Jesus, whoever entrusts herself into Jesus, right, entrusts your whole life. You place your confidence, your hope for everything into Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what this is talking about. That's what this word believe means. And so like Jairus, we too have reason to believe. God can do the impossible. Here, this was an impossible situation, but God can do that. In Matthew, Jesus says this. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished because Jesus had just said that, you know, it's impossible for a rich man to go into heaven. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. So the disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished, saying, well, who can then be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things. Just say all things. All things are possible. Just believe in trust. Entrust your impossible situations to God. And you have the mockery of those who don't believe. No doubt these people had an impact on Jairus, but Jairus stayed focused. He continued to entrust himself to Jesus. What a moment. I cannot imagine being Jairus in this moment. With his wife, probably holding each other's hands tightly. Probably tears just streaming down their face. But a hopeful gleam in their eyes. They watch Jesus do his thing. And when they heard, when they heard these words, child, arise. Can you imagine Put yourself in their shoes, the, the heart racing. Is this really about to happen? And you see your little girl's eyes open. 
You hear her inhale. You see her sit up. Can you imagine your excitement? The one almost most precious to you in this world who you had lost. You've been on this roller coaster. She's now okay. She's alive. I would have been jumping and hollering. I'd have been weeping different kind of tears now. You know, can you, I mean, just put yourself there. This is a powerful moment. This is a moment they would never forget. Jesus demonstrated he really is the God of the universe because he brought a dead girl back to life. And it was their girl. It was their baby girl that they loved so deeply. Had they been influenced by the mockery, maybe they wouldn't have enjoyed that moment as much. Got to be careful about these mockers. Psalm 1 tells us, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditate on his law day and night. Just kind of a last warning here. Your faith is precious. It's a precious gift from God. We've got to protect that faith. We've got to build that faith. We've got to protect it. We've got to be careful who we hang out with. Now, this is usually a conversation we have with our teenagers, right? But this is really true for all of us. We've got to be careful. I mean, we need to make friends of, with those who don't believe and through those relationships share the gospel, sure. But those really, really close heart friends, we got to have believers. Because if your close heart friends are mockers, that's going to affect you. It's going to affect your faith. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, <clears throat> don't be deceived. Some of you probably just said in your mind, Oh, that's not true. (laughs) Here's what Paul says. Don't be deceived. Don't kid yourself. Don't fool yourself. Bad company ruins good morals. Or another way you could translate that is bad company corrupts good character. It will have an impact on you. It's got to be careful who those heart, those really close heart friends are. Especially when you get into dating relationships and marital situations, um, I mean, scripture's very clear. It's not going to be on your screen, but Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, which is a false God? Or what, what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Got to be careful who we connect our heart with in friendship or even beyond because mockery can have a negative effect on your gift of faith. Faith is precious. Don't let others diminish your faith. Put others around you who build your faith. This is, this is why attending church is good. Being part of a small group is so good. Those are all faith-building gatherings. And we've got to build that faith. So for Jairus, those mockers could have had a big impact on him, but praise God, they didn't. He stayed focused on Jesus. He trusted Jesus. He entrusted himself to Jesus because Jesus said, only believe. So this morning, where, where are you with the Lord? Do you believe 
believe in the sense that you agree with some theology? You agree that Jesus was the Son of God? Do you agree that Jesus died on the cross for our sin? Do you agree that on the cross, Jesus became our sin? He took our sin. Do you believe Jesus literally died? God in the flesh died. Do you believe that on the third day, he rose again from the grave? Do you believe that 50 days later, that on Pentecost, he sent his Holy Spirit to fill the church, to become the church? Do you believe those things? Great. James 2.19 says, even the demons believe and tremble. Here's the question. Have you entrusted your life to Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, I'm all in. I am all for you. I am am in you. It's where you go, I go. Where you lead, I follow. When you command, I obey. When you say, go, I go. When you say, stop, I stop. Are you entrusted in your life to Jesus? That's what salvation is. When Jesus says, when Paul writes in Romans 10, confess your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Lord means master, king, the one under whom I am entrusted, into whom I am entrusted, right? So it just fits biblically. Have you entrusted your life to Christ? If you haven't, it's a great morning to do that. Whether you're here in person, watching online. So we say, give your life to Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Believe and trust your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you have other things going on. You have a seemingly impossible situation. Hear the words of Jesus. Don't fear. Only believe. And it will be well. And trust the situation to Jesus. Jesus.